It's judo versus jiu-jitsu in an ultimate martial arts showdown. The Toho Gang and special guest Abby Denton grapple with Akira Kurosawa's directorial debut in episode 56, Sanshiro Sugata. Welcome to another episode of Toho Yaro, a Japanese film club podcast. I am joined, as always, by Alex. Hey. And Joey. Hello, everybody. And I am V, because I just forgot to introduce myself. And we are joined <laughs> this episode uh, by Abby Denton. My new podcasting technique is unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I challenge you. <laughs> This episode, we are talking about Akira Kurosawa's directorial debut, Skata Sanshiro, from 1943. So this is Akira Kurosawa's first uh, directorial credit. Uh, he had actually done a lot of second unit work uh, under his his mentor previously. Uh, so he said that this was this was he had he kind of already directed a movie. So he had a lot of experience mm. under his belt. Um, but this is his first credited lead director role. Uh, he co-wrote the film. The, he co-wrote the screenplay with Suneo Tomita, the author of the book by the same name, who is the son of the first student of the creator of judo. Hmm. Um, and Kurosawa was uh, kind of given this film because he had, uh, as I said, he had worked under his mentor, helping direct previous films and had actually gotten two screenplays published. But uh, allegedly the studio gave him this film to as his first one to direct because he was known as being a bit of a uh, free thinker, I guess. And this was during wartime. And so they gave him Tsugata Sanshiro, a, a, a film about judo and very traditional Japanese ideals as a kind of like safe thing for him to do that wouldn't rile too many feathers. Mm. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, the, uh, the cast for this film is Susumu Fujita as, uh, Oh, I forgot to ask. Does have any of you seen this film before? Um, I have not. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I was only familiar with the, uh, Sega Saturn commercials that, um, any of you can elaborate on because we're all very familiar with those. I think I'll <laughs> save that until, uh, later in the podcast, but we'll definitely talk about them. Um, uh, yeah, no, I hadn't even heard of this movie and I didn't even know the Sega Saturn commercials. <laughs> so I'm the most in the dark here. Um, you know, uh, I know who Akira Kurosawa is and <laughs> that's about it. Uh, yeah, I hadn't completely, uh, um, explored his whole filmography. So, uh, this is completely new to me. Uh, Abby. Yeah. The, this, uh, really backfired for me. Cause I, I suggested it, uh, thinking, Oh, well, I, I'm a big fan of the commercials sort of parodying this movie, Segata Sanchiro. But, uh, if I suggest this movie and then I'll have to watch it and then I can become <laughs> a more knowledgeable person and I, I can feel less like I've, I've just reduced, uh, Akira Kurosawa's filmography to, to, um, 
sort of a, a cheap joke. Um, it unfortunately completely backfired. And the moment that we announced that we were doing this episode, uh, I forget who it was, uh, but it was immediately clocked that that was why we picked this movie. So un- unfortunately, <laughs> I've, I've not gained any dignity in the, the effort. Yeah, I believe that was former guest David Bednar. That, <laughs> former uh, guest and some... never again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and and yeah. yeah, the only knowledge I had of this was like, oh, I know this was an old film that those Sega Saturn commercials were based on. I didn't actually know until, uh, I guess, a year or two ago that it was actually directed by Akira Kurosawa even. Hmm. Oh, the movie, yeah. not, no, the, not commercials. the commercials. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. What if, man? Um, you, you see, like, like David Lynch does commercials once in a while. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, but going back to the cast, uh, Susumu Fujita is the titular Sanshiro Skata, uh, who last time we saw him was as the uh, enemy general in the Hidden Fortress. Oh, okay. Uh, he is also uh, most of the most of this cast are folks that were well known as being uh, Jidai Geki film actors at the time, since they were that was what was popular. And they're actually pretty big names, but they mm. with a, a notable exception, uh, they didn't really go on to work with Kurosawa much past the second uh, Sagata mm. Sanshiro movie. Uh, playing Shogoro Yano, who is the the uh, judo master, is Dinjiro Okuchi, who uh, I d- couldn't see much of his filmography that I recognize, but I did notice that he is the actor who plays Tange Sazen in The Million Rio Pot. Mm-hmm. I thought that name sounded familiar. So at one of these days, we're going to cover that movie. <laughs> oh, I mean, a, keeps coming. When I had one arm samurai, is just too cool not to talk about. Mm-hmm. When I had um, one armed samurai for people eater. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, playing Sa- Sayo Murai, the love interest of the film is Yukiko Todoroki, who I also could not really recognize much of her filmography, uh, and same with Ryanosuke. Sugikata, uh, who plays Ginosuke Higaki, the uh, the devilish-looking Western-styled villain of the film. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, the uh, Haikata. <laughs> every every actor in this movie is just operating at like a hundred percent like typecasting. Like you look at these characters and you immediately, which is a, is a good way for casting to work. Yeah, it's, just it's very well cast. Fujita. I guess is what I mean. Yeah, he's he's got that like square jawed yet somehow still kind of baby faced hero look from that time. I guess maybe what I'm mm. trying to say is it's too well cast. Like they, they look so <laughs> perfect for the roles that you're like, Oh yeah, right. <laughs> like Sayumurai, the, you know, the beautiful love interest just looks so innocent. Mm-hmm. She could never. Hurt oh, yeah, the most oh, they, I mean, they, yeah, they, they remark upon her, her purity, uh, as she's praying later on. Um, just picture perfect. Uh, and then finally rounding out the cast, we have, uh, of course, Takashi Shimura as mm-hmm. Hanske Murai, the, the competitive or the competing, uh, jujitsu dojo leader, Hanske Murai. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, no. I'm looking at the cast list and Ko- Kokuten Kodo, who plays the, the Buddhist priest, 
was was like 53 when the film was made. Oh man. Oh, yeah. And he looks like <laughs> 90. <laughs> yeah, he's really Yeah, yeah. I there's that thing in especially old movies where you look at and it's like oh the dad in this was actually 14. <laughs> is, is it a lighting thing or do we just have so much better like know. skincare now? <laughs> I mean I, I guess he could That's have rough, just buddy. dyed his hair white to look extra. Oh god. It's true. Um, but that is magic. like the only sort of like many of the characters he plays. Okay, his career of filmography from 1943 to 1958. Old priest, old priest, old man, grandfather, old man, old man, 53 years old. Um, old man in front yes. of sign in the hidden fortress. That was his last role. <laughs> well, that's the thing that, I mean, we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but that's the thing that was definitely remarkable to, remarkable to me to about um Takashi Shimura, the one guy that we know, is that he is like young compared to a lot of the roles I've seen him in, but he still is an old guy. You know, he's still kind of playing a father and an older guy. Yeah, I was gonna say Takashi Shimura normally looks the same, like mysterious somewhere between like fifty and ninety <laughs> in every movie he's in, but he actually does look a little younger here. Um but he gets off like I think it's because of the way he styles his hair and gives him a big forehead. He gives me real big Kurtwood Smith vibes. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> mm. Um, I I think it's funny that you mentioned uh the um weird range of age that he always is. He's sort of like the Japanese Patrick Stewart in that way. I mean, Chishiryu <laughs> has the same thing going on as well. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just mis- mysterious men that seem to be locked into some people age are just old men. Yeah. <laughs> um, so some some background on the production of this film. Uh, this was originally uh, almost ninety seven minutes long, and wartime censors after the initial theater run cut seventeen minutes of footage out of the movie. Um, what is available on the Criterion Channel. And uh, throughout most of the the world now is Toho's 1952 re-release of the film, which has uh, a lot of like for the missing scenes. uh, They both put an apology at the beginning of the movie saying talking about how Mm -hmm. they couldn't recover the footage. And they put black interstitial cards explaining the missing scenes, uh, some of which are actually incredibly vital to the plot. Yeah. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Kind of tried to imagine like what it would have been to watch this without those explanations and just feel like it would have been kind of confusing. Apparently there are versions floating around, mostly stemming from a Russian copy of the film that has like somewhere between eight to 11 minutes of footage of that cut footage still in it, but there's no complete version of the film that anyone has found yet. Uh, it's also unclear exactly why that footage was cut. Uh, some people speculate it's because they wanted to shorten the runtime so they could get more, more people through the theaters as like a Hmm. budgetary decision, uh, during the war. Um, so they didn't have to have as many, productions making films they could just cram the theater with uh with more existing ones and then of course there's the version that was filmed um on vhs by jack black and moss Def in the film be kind rewind 
yeah, just swede your own in between scenes if you're missing yeah. some. Of I, I like the God, idea of a, a man working at Toho who um, was left with the one print, and some absurd sequence of events happens that destroys it, and he just has to do his best. <laughs> I'm just imagining someone trying to edit it. To Russia, apparently. Yeah. I'm just trying to imagine him trying to edit it back together with like other films just like random godzilla footage and stuff crammed in there you know if you want to demonstrate the power of judo what are you gonna do (laughs) yeah seven samurai and one judo guy um but yeah and, and there's some apocrypha that uh kurosawa actually made these edits himself because they wanted to trim down the movie because the scenes that are missing don't seem particularly you know objectionable uh, on what you would think Japanese wartime government would be trying to censor. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just mystifying the way that this was cut and the things that, that they left in instead. Um, the other background I wanted to get into a little bit is judo itself. Uh, judo was created in 1882 by uh, a man named Jigoro Kano. It was uh, a, a kind of spinoff of jujitsu. At the time, most martial arts in Japan were kind of on a downswing. People weren't really practicing uh, any of them. A lot of martial arts masters were having to take up uh, other jobs to get by. And so Kano decided to create judo uh, both to kind of revitalize things uh and but also put forward his own kind of vision. So he judo takes a lot of the techniques of jujitsu, but uh, layers over that a a layer of philosophy. Uh, jujitsu is is a technique. Judo is a phil- philosophy. Hmm. It's okay. uh, what is it? The uh, way of versus the I forget what jitsu means. Yeah, I think it's technique. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so by transforming this into a like encompassing philosophy, it kind of brought a lot more attention. Like this is not just uh, a, a way of defending yourself or, or a sport. This is like a, a way to think about the world, uh, which obviously jujitsu didn't take kindly to. And so there were a lot of ju- judo jujitsu rivalries, uh, especially throughout the, uh, the, early days of the school. Um, mm. The book Sugata Sanshiro is, was written by the son of Kano's first pupil, Tomita uh, Sunejiro, but it is actually based on Kano's second pupil, Shiro Saigo, who mm. was also known as the cat and octopus feet. <laughs> Octopus feet, yeah. Uh, both because he had uh, he had an uncanny ability to land on his feet following throws, and uh, the octopus feet because it, he was very difficult to unbalance. Um, hmm. The the events of the movie are not completely bi- biographical, but they are largely based on actual events in Shiro Saigo's life. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, it's not really which, a fantastical movie. Mm. Although uh, there, there are some times when it's clearly broad daylight outside, uh, but they're acting like it's night. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the darndest yeah. thing. My, my, aside from the missing scenes in the, the re-release, my biggest complaint is that the 
this release of the film doesn't have better color grading to try to figure out like, is this dark because it's supposed to be a dark uh, a scene at night? Or is this just dark because of like schmutz on the, the film? Yeah. Reel? Yeah. I'm a, I watched it on the criterion channel and I thought to myself, come on, criterion, did you phone this one in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially now knowing that there's a little bit more footage out there. Criterion's usually pretty good about gathering all that stuff up, but possible they're saving this for a, a newer release. I'm not sure how mm-hmm. long ago um, it came out, but I don't believe this one is on Blu-ray yet. Hmm. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I could see this one be kind of lower on their priorities uh, as far as Kurosawa's catalog is concerned. This is only sort of slightly related, but um, the the gentleman you were talking about, uh, uh, I've forgotten his name already. Uh, Sh- Shiro Saigo. Sh- Shiro Saigo. Um, I, I was uh, DMing you guys about my my research into um, mm-hmm. him and his uh, cohort, Tomita Tsunajiro. Um, oh, gosh. I should have had this uh, research ready. Um, <laughs> was this about the American exhibition? Yeah, I just thought that's... St- okay, yeah, it was to Tomita Tsunajiro. So it's a complete complete offshoot from the subject at hand. But I, I was very interested reading about um, the the time that, that uh, Tomita Tsunajiro toured the United States and other countries to sort of talk up this amazing new judo thing that I believe got popular even with uh, Theodore Roosevelt, if I'm remembering right. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was a different guy, maybe a different art. Um, but I, I, I'm a huge fan of this because it's one of the first martial arts that sort of existed in a time when it had to be um, <coughs> branded. Whereas a lot of others oh, were yeah. sort of very regional, very personal, sort of this guy had sort of taken on the, the teaching techniques of his teacher and sort of passed it on from jujitsu going back to like, what is it? The 1700s or the 700s. Hmm. Um, and, and this is the first time it was sort of really very formal. And it's very strange to think of trying to sell martial arts and the way that you do it hasn't really changed that much. Like today you have people claiming like, oh, I can I can move telephone book pages with my mind using my martial art. Please come to my school and give me four hundred dollars. Um, I don't know who lives a life where they need to be able to move telephone book pages <laughs> with their minds. But, you know, if, if if you've encountered a situation like that once, you may be worried you'll encounter it again. Um mm-hmm. And it, it's very interesting. Uh, one of the stories, the, the, all all recorded by Western journalists who are very like, oh, this this amazing. It, I was pleasantly surprised by how respectful everyone was. I was kind of expecting mm. something much worse. But they, uh, apparently in their presentations, they were claiming like, oh, this old guy once fell out of a second story window and he was fine because he knew judo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah, very it, much it, enjoy that kind of uh, over the top claim for marketing is is fun. Yeah, which I do really appreciate that, like the jujitsu schools are kind of salty at Yano and the judo master in the film is very much a kind of stand in for Kano. Um, And like the idea that they're mad that he's I think at one point they say he's just trying to do this to make money Yeah, uh, Mm. where they're mad that he is actively marketing this um, instead of like treating it like a proper martial art or something. I should, I should have right. done a lot more research into like the economy of modern martial artists. Cause I would assume just offhand that most of the money in that kind of thing is from like eight year olds. You get a class of like 30 of them. It's easy to fit. They're small. They're wiry. Uh, one of them dies <laughs> in a, in a sparring match, you know, no biggie. There's more where that came from. 
Yeah. Uh, whereas, like, here and in most, like, martial arts movies and stuff, like, it, it's exclusively adult students. You never see, like, oh, it's a five-year-old. I guess the karate kid, but I don't know if that counts. Um <laughs> I don't know. I feel like in my personal life, the the most people I've known taking martial arts classes have been when I was in elementary school and my friends were, you know, doing that yeah. <laughs> down the road or whatever. I'm one of those people. Ooh. Oh, really? Uh-huh. I was one of those kids. I took Taekwondo, though. It wasn't any it wasn't a Japanese martial art. I took mm. Taekwondo from third grade until I think seventh. Uh, and I quit right before Black Belt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took um, um, a self-defense judo class at LA's uh, LGBT Community Center taught by a lady whose name I've now forgotten. Um, Rika Kodama doesn't sound right. That sounds like an actor. But mm. it, I'm, I, I could swear her name was Rika something. Um, it was very nice. And it, it's sort of neat to hear about like even just regional histories of like queer martial artists and stuff like that. Which mm. is, you know, difficult because mm. it's such a sort of a, a machismo-oriented thing. And so sort of here, learning from a woman was interesting. And it, it it's, I would say martial, art is, martial arts in general is is a neat cultural thing. Whereas, like, you only associate mm-hmm. it with, like, the movies and maybe self-defense classes yeah. and stuff like that. But just culturally, I would love to, to learn more about this stuff. Um. Which that's interesting to mention. The, uh, one of the core ideas of judo is that it doesn't require you to be big and strong to excel at. Uh, mm. uh, it, Sagata Sanshiro is big and strong in the film, but Shiro Saigo is actually, I think, a uh, on the smaller side for uh, combatants at the time. Uh, but judo is focused on using your opponent's momentum and strength against them. So it is uh, it, very egalitarian in that sense. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be big and strong to leverage these techniques. And, um, and of course, there's Kata Smurf, who, um, whose size never stood in the way of his ability to throw <laughs> the, the massive Gargamel or his cat. Um, I will say another interesting side effect of the kind of Western marketing of judo is that it is, uh, was a major influence, I believe on, uh, Bartitsu, the semi-fictional martial art practiced by Sherlock Holmes. Um, and just generally, uh, one of my favorite moves to see in fighting is just a, a real nice hip toss. Yeah. So hmm, this this movie was weirdly up my alley. I don't know if that's exclusively called a seonage. I think a seonage is like you need a, a take in before you do the hip drop or the hip throw. But the seonage is mm-hmm. a cool move. Like grab him by the collar. Yeah. Uh, I, I found one. I'm so sorry for this long digression, but I found one <laughs> no, great no, no. quote from Tomito Tsunejiro about the rivalry between um, jiu-jitsu and judo. It's on Wikipedia. I should have looked there first. Um, that should set the tone for the movie. Tsumita uh, Todajiro, Sunajiro, while talking to Americans, said, uh, jiu-jitsu is an almost extinct art and a savage one that would be better extinct. The real art of self-defense mm. is judo. Jiu-jitsu was developed 350 years ago at a time when there was tribal warfare in Japan. Then a man with a long sword and a man with no sword would meet in the streets, and out of their undying (laughs) hatred for one another, tribally speaking, it became necessary for the man with no sword to learn a few tricks for dislocating the joints of his enemy, choking him and rendering him unconscious, etc. 
which is a marvelous speech in so many ways. The deployment of etc. at the end while describing beating yes. the snot out of someone. Um, and just the positioning of jujitsu as a martial art that's good enough that you can defeat a man with a sword. <laughs> which I don't think anyone yeah, like, could do, it, but it's still an inferior art. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's savage. You know, judo is the thinking man's uh, jujitsu. <laughs> I'd laugh if you specified, like, you can't beat a sword with judo, but it's still, it's more civilized <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the film opens with uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Skata Sanshiro going to the jujitsu dojo to try to become a student and they welcome him and give him some sake and are like, Hey, you want to watch us go beat up this old man? <laughs> um, and the, the entire dojo goes to find Yano, uh, along the, uh, a canal. And, uh, while Sigata is watching Yano just systematically takes each of them apart and throws them into the river. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Skata is uh, understandably impressed and uh, offers to take him by rickshaw back to his his dojo. Um, jump forward a little bit, and uh, I think an entire year because we we get this series mm -hmm. of very interesting shots as one of the uh, uh, the the sandals that. Uh, he left behind uh, goes through the seasons. Frankly, looking at that sandal, around. I'm not surprised he left it behind. <laughs> I don't know. It, it makes it through all those seasons, holds up pretty well. <laughs> it's chewed on by a dog. It's, 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 it's one of the Keep best. The best time lapse. <laughs> it's, it's a really good time lapse. I, I, it was the first moment where I was like, oh, this was directed by a, a guy we should respect. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and we get uh, Sigata, who is now like somewhat trained in this art, just like getting rowdy and and getting in a bunch of fights around town, uh, beating up a bunch of people, culminating in him uh, getting in a fight with a sumo, <laughs> uh, which is is not it, it does not show us the conclusion of this fight. Uh, this is actually based on a real thing with Shiro Saigo and uh, how he got kicked out of uh, uh, judo. Uh, he mm. was, uh, he got in a fight with a sumo, uh, uh, managed to, to throw him to the ground. The sumo bit him, at which point uh, it turned into an all out brawl between the rest of the sumo stable and the other <laughs> judo students along with Saigo. And uh, he decided to retire after that and took up Kudo instead, which is the uh, Japanese uh, uh, technique of uh, longbow. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, but apparently uh, uh, Kano was furious about this fight, but uh, eventually forgave him by posthumously promoting him up one Dan. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, so Scatha uh, is just tearing things up. He go, gets if all it took to get promoted in the martial arts was to die. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it goes, man. I, I like that. That's the that's the marker of forgiveness. Of like, you're dead now. I guess I'll bump you up one notch. <laughs> um, but 
uh, Scott gets lambasted by Yano for failing to understand uh, the the actual purpose and techniques of judo, saying he doesn't have humanity. Um, it's a great which, monologue. No, I love it. It's like he's he lambasts his student. It sounds like he's saying he's running around with a loaded gun. He doesn't know how to use. It's very impressive. Hmm. Um, but yeah, talks, talks about the nature of humanity and natural law and things. And Scott Asanshiro, um, decides to kind of prove his dedication misguidedly and jumps into the pond in the middle of the, uh, the complex and says he doesn't care if he dies. He's just going to stay there until he can prove his dedication to his teacher. And uh, through some beautifully shot scenes, uh, though once again kind of clouded by the age of the mm-hmm. film, uh, he eventually has an epiphany and, as well, he looks upon first, the Buddhist an priest, lotus. played by Kokuten Kodo, has to come out and say, "Like, what are you doing, kid? You're crazy." Yeah, he's like, "Yeah, fine, die out there, <laughs> whatever. Wonderful. I don't care." Yeah, like no one respects this. Like it's such an iconic scene in the movie, but no one takes it seriously at all. They're just like, "You're the biggest idiot ever." It's like nobody <laughs> told you to do this. This is you completely misunderstood the speech. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually in the moonlight, we get this beautiful shot of a luminescent lotus as it's opened. And he kind of has a sudden epiphany and leaps out of the pond saying he gets it. He understands everybody is awake, I guess, in the middle of the night, expect waiting for this to happen. <laughs> uh uh, and they 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 cheer <laughs> um, him finally getting it together. I uh, I didn't expect to be moved by that scene because like it's it's the one everyone talks about. So I, I sort of felt like I, I'd been insulated from it. And it's mm. you know it it's not a Kira Kurosawa firing like on on all of his later cylinders. You know like like it, it's clearly an early work. But that scene still I believe the kids would say slaps. It's great. <laughs> It's like the, the score yeah, that, that and just shot his of the, face. <laughs> and that shot of the flower is like genuinely kind of like, I don't know, it works. It's it's glowing in a way that's very awe-inspiring. Yeah, I've, I feel like it's a little underbaked kind of thematically. Like I, it, aside from the this Buddhist symbolism of the lotus and, and knowledge, I don't really understand what his epiphany is supposed to be necessarily mm-hmm. in this scene. Uh, but the way it's shot is just absolutely beautiful. You know, I, I wasn't sure how much was just like the lotus symbolism not being something that means something like like if a cross appears in a scene, like I having been raised mm. in Christian traditions, like I'm like, yeah, I get it. Whereas with a lotus, I'm a little <laughs> less sure. So I don't know what an audience in 1943 would have would have thought about that scene. Yeah. But I, I still like like it's grown out of this muddy crap and and it's still still managing to flower. And I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I'll stand up. I will fight you for it <laughs> on a mountaintop in a snowstorm while my fiance tells me this is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the next scene we finally meet. Uh, Genosuke Higaki, the the villain of the film, who is dressed in fancy Western clothes with white gloves and just a fiendish mustache. Um, uh, may I interject for a moment? I recently yeah, found, I recently found out that this um, style, uh, well, uh, 
the, these types of, of people were called high kata, um, mm. which obviously is a uh, romanization of high collar. Um, and mm. it was used to describe mm. uh, those who were influenced uh, heavily by Western culture in the 19th century. <laughs> this guy drove me nuts because he uh, was so quiet. He talked so quietly uh, compared to everyone else that I was like, what is what is his deal? I, I'm told he even lights his cigarettes in like a like an officially Western style, which I, I couldn't <laughs> tell the difference. But interesting. Yeah, he's like a reverse weeb. Are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who, what was that post? Uh, it's like I am I'm Fred. Oh, yes. Fred Turner, I, I I'm going to move to America to make Cartoon Network shows. Oh, I, <laughs> I love him. It's, it's a great image. Um, but yeah, I think him being so soft-spoken is maybe supposed to like be a marker of how kind of like they always talk about his him having the shadow of a snake and mm. being snake-like. I think that being soft-spoken is supposed to be a kind of sinister trait in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, but he, he says the police are trying to find the great martial art that they should teach all of the cops to do, which mm-hmm. is not a plot point that I would associate with a movie worth taking seriously. Like the idea of like, <laughs> oh, we need the strongest martial arts cops. Like that's an 80s movie premise. And here it oh, is yeah. in the 1940s hey. doing done totally straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a real we need to get this contract to save the yeah. the community center type thing. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> and like earlier they're even talking about just judo conceptually like um Masters of the Flying Guillotine like like a movie where they're like, "Oh, th- here's this amazing secret technique that like in in schlockier movies like mm-hmm. it's being talked yeah, about the same uh, way, which is interesting <laughs> that sort of it's not necessarily the the framing that's absurd, it's just these movies themselves make the premise absurd. It reminded me of a movie from the seventies called uh, dragon princess. Uh, it's Sonny Chiba and Etsuko Shihomi movie where uh, uh, New York crime has gotten so bad in New York that they bring Sonny Chiba in to teach all the cops karate. And uh, <laughs> it's the only way <laughs> and things, things go South uh, for him, but you know, I need to watch that's, that. That's where Shihomi comes in. Yeah. But um, I, I, I do love, though, that this has like all of the plot beats of like a 70s or 80s sports movie. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's, it's so weird because like it's it's shot, I guess. I think this is before sort of those things were like created sort of structurally. Yeah. To, so to he still shoots a, it as if they're like he doesn't shoot it like a sports movie would shoot a martial arts fight. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is a contemporary of like. I think Casablanca came out the same year this did. If you want to know mm. where Western cinema was at at the time, oh. um, like like in in later movies, you'd, you'd have like, oh, I'm going to do my my secret punch that I learned or whatever, and you'd shoot like the one punch sort of to to give it extra like verve. But I don't think that happens a single time in this movie. It's just like. They record the two guys wailing on each other for two minutes, <laughs> and like the the <laughs> camera's never land. following them properly, <laughs> and it's never quite in focus, right? And it it feels a lot mm. rar. It feels rar, rar yeah. is not a word that should be pronounced. <laughs> it only works in rar. text. Yeah. Rar. <laughs> yeah, they hadn't really figured out, I guess, how to shoot that kind of action yet. Um. 
It, it, it feels it, a lot more like an actual match would feel, which is neat. Maybe mm-hmm. less cinematic, but still cool. <laughs> but uh, Higaki comes in and the, it, we get an abrupt cut uh, that is part of one of the missing scenes uh, where it just cuts to him talking to Tsukata Sanshiro and then it cuts to one of the students being thrown into the wall and breaking the, the wall. Um, leaving a perfect a, a, shape of his body <laughs> and through another wall behind it. I I honestly thought that was about to happen in <laughs> a little bit. Um, but yeah, there's a, a more of a scene of Sagata talking to one of the talking to the monk uh, before it cuts to that impact that got cut. Um, but uh, Sagata and Higaki want to fight each other, but Sagata is forbidden because he's still got he's he's still on probation uh, from being too rowdy. Um, but then, uh, eventually gets Yano's blessing to go to an exhibition match against the jujitsu dojo from the beginning of the film, uh, against, uh, Moma, the, uh, the head of that, uh, dojo. And, uh, in this fight you get, uh, it's very dance like the way they start off these fight scenes where they just each grab their, their lapels. And mm-hmm. just kind of slowly move back and forth for a while before the action actually cuts in, uh, which is not quite the actual cadence of a uh, of a real uh, judo or jujitsu match. But I understand the like. I guess he wanted to try it, or Kurosawa wanted to try to build tension in these scenes. Yeah, but eventually Tsugata just throws Moma through the air. He's like, we hit. The way it's edited is a bunch of snap edits. We see a very brief scene of Momo flying through the air like Superman. (laughs) And uh, before it cut to him against the wall where he crashed, I thought it was going to pan over and actually show just like a a person shaped outline (laughs) through the wall. Um, But no, he's just laying there as as uh, a. window blind falls down and we find out that Sagata has actually killed him by doing this. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't take it super seriously, but I guess they didn't really have padding or proper medical mm. treatments back then. So it's, it's so weird. Like, Oh, how did he die? Oh, uh, well he got shoulder thrown and lands on his <laughs> back. I don't know. I don't know. He could have conceivably just like you get hit in the head the wrong way. It doesn't take much. Yeah. I mean, uh, Sagata definitely, uh, he's definitely reminiscent of like the meathead who is good at fighting and nothing else. Mm-hmm. It, so it, it appears like, that he gives two different people tuberculosis by hitting them really hard <laughs> in the course of these two movies, which is weird. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm so used to judo as a thing that I think of as a sport uh, that I see, you know, regulated and and people just throw each other and then one person's out. Like the idea that someone can like judo someone to death <laughs> does like seem kind of s- silly to me. And so that's, you know, jumping ahead that that part at the end where it's like a match to death. I was like. Wait, but just by throwing each other? <laughs> okay. Are there um, spikes involved to, or a cliff or a fire? <laughs> but I think that's just there, a, there yeah, is that's a big a, metal kind of thing that like falls at, well, a wooden thing that falls and hits him on the head while he's on the floor. <laughs> so you could maybe blame that. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, if you throw someone at the right angle, they will yeah. die. I mean, that's true. Like if they snap their neck or something. So it's just that I'm so used to, yeah, this being a very like sanitized, like safe sport of, uh, of, of, uh, you know, the modern what day. Kind of fair, bumps him, judo, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, what, what kind of bumps it up is that his widow is like, well, his now widow is sitting at the window watching and starts like glaring <laughs> at him and screaming for her now dead <laughs> husband who like, she just somehow mm. knows is dead just from seeing the fall. <laughs> Which oh, it, it's it's not a direction that I expected the movie to take at all, just from like what I know about it culturally. And and it sort of still becomes a major theme of the movie, sort of like people who don't fight, but still sort of end up losing people they mm-hmm. care about, which is nice. Like, I, I can't think of a lot of movies about martial artists that talk about that in a way that isn't just very mm-hmm. heavy handed. Like, um, like she, she did, she does not end up uh, dedicating herself to violent revenge as might happen now. Yeah. What? No, she mm. does. What are you talking about? <laughs> she takes up the sword. And- <laughs> um, uh, she does show up with a knife to try to kill him in shortly thereafter. How did um, I forget that? Yeah. <laughs> she, she absolutely shows up trying to get revenge, uh, which is one of the scenes that I was surprised that they left in at the expense of some other more significant ones. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, he, he falls into a depression following that, uh, because he's, he's, he's sad about having killed this man and the grief that he has caused, uh, in her life. Um, oh, because but- he also walks by their, the dojo and it's like closed and for sale. There's, um, what one thing they do in the movie to sort of show the passage of time is showing like there's like laundry women singing like work songs and things, which is a very mm-hmm. nice way to place it in this pastoral context. Uh, and then between him killing this guy and the fallout from it, um, you see a bunch of kids running through the streets singing a song they've written called because uh, there goes Sanshiro. Stay away from Sanshiro. He will murder you. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> He's like the local boogeyman. Um, but I was going to say, to be fair to judo, uh, it was not designed to be a death sport. It was actually designed with uh, exhibitions in mind. It was supposed mm-hmm. to be a, a non-lethal form of self-defense uh, to the point where there are like uh, kicks and strikes in judo, but they're only for doing kata. You're not supposed to use them against an actual opponent mm-hmm. uh, in an exhibition match. Um, but yeah, this, this transition from, uh, his depression over killing Moma and, uh, ruining the life of Moma's wife is when we get the, uh, the pivotal sexual, or sexual, second spiritual awakening, <laughs> um, uh, which is completely off screen in one of these, uh, black, te- uh, black and white text boxes. And yeah, which is just heartbreaking because I wanted to actually see this and and get a better idea of like his transition to I am sad because I have I have hurt people and and Mm -hmm. done bad things to like getting back on the horse and realizing that like the fact that I feel bad about this is maybe like proves my humanity. Mm-hmm. And like leads to a better understanding of uh, judo, but unfortunately, it's one of the scenes that was cut, so we don't really get to see it. Womp womp. Um, but then uh, we get 
uh, he he actually meets uh, Sayo in person. She's praying at a shrine. This is where they talk about how she's just like she's so perfect at praying. She's or she she's the like ideal of this thing. She's become one with the shrine. We cannot interrupt her. <laughs> um, there's a little cute scene where he tries to repair her sandal, and it's a real nice little meat cute. And he is just like yeah. a goofy meathead. <laughs> um, but has kind of a panic attack when she, he realizes she is Mirai's daughter and that he is to uh, fight Mirai in front of the police to, to prove to them whether judo or jujitsu mm-hmm. is the martial art to go with. Um, of course, in the end, a crazed gunman breaks into the fight and uh, they decide to arm themselves <laughs> yeah. instead. I will defeat your, your technique with the power of gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, th- then we get to the big uh, actual exhibition match between Mirai, played by uh, Takashi Shimura, and Sakata Sanshiro uh, in front of both their schools and all the policemen. And uh, this is actually, th- there's a lot of quick edits that some of these moves are not edited quite the way you would like, but they're also, I don't imagine Takashi Shimura is actually a judo master. So there <laughs> had to be um, some contritions, uh, but it's, it's still a, once you get past the, the beginning slow dance, which like I said, is to build up the tension. And I think kind of express that they're very evenly matched uh, in terms of like feeling each other out and seeing if they could go for a, an easy takedown. And you get a lot of really dynamic stuff and it illustrates uh, uh, Sagata's cat-like reflexes as he lands on his feet multiple times like Shiro d- did in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the collar grab I know is a, an exercise that, that we used to do in my class. So I, I wonder if that slow dance was like genuinely how matches started in in this period. Yeah, I, I've I haven't watched a ton of judo, but I I do like watching like Olympic judo and seeing like compilation videos every now and then. And modern judo is a lot more kinetic, and you're it's a lot more about uh, not letting your opponent get that initial grab on your collar. Mm. But mm. like, I don't know how the the sport has evolved over time, and maybe that was basically a a pretty basic starting position back then. It it's definitely a neat starting position because it. it like when you're sort of you're still evenly matched in a sense when you both have the same hold mm-hmm. and and it, yeah. it's a much more intimate way to start which is interesting it, it sort of stops you from going into dramatic striking or anything when you're at that sort of range it's true um, i'd be curious to see matches like that i mean i, yeah. I guess we have seen matches um, like that but real ones <laughs> <laughs> this guy is like uh, 90 how was he fighting young Shiro? <laughs> <laughs> This was the moment when the movie, not to say it's a bad movie, but where it it became funny, just how sincere mm-hmm. everyone was about this man beating the snot. I mean, you know that that's dramatic in its own way, you know, sort of having to pass the torch to a younger generation. But he beats yeah. the snot out of this guy to the point that he's bedridden for weeks, <laughs> while Sugata Senshiro <laughs> seduces his daughter. 
which yeah. is am- among the most <laughs> the most perverse things I've ever seen in a movie. Now Mariah's on board. He likes <laughs> yeah. like yeah. He, after after this, it. after he's defeated by Sagata, he's like, "No, you're a good dude. You earned that win. I like you a lot. Let's be buddies now." <laughs> <laughs> like Sagata is just like chilling with him at his house before his daughter even shows While up. He's lying in bed dying. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is also based on an actual uh, uh, event in Shirosago's life what? where I think they were uh, he wasn't fighting or uh, competing against a uh, the head of a rival dojo, but they did have an, an exhibition match uh, to kind of like sell judo and jujitsu to a police force and he won when he threw his opponent and broke his shoulder his opponent's shoulder um and then he married his daughter (laughs) he married his daughter (laughs) It, Um, it, it does completely change the dynamic that you sort of expect most relationships to have with the father in law and the and the son in law like now that yeah. you know that who who would win in a fight, that completely changes any interactions they may have. Yeah, just get that part <laughs> yeah. over with. I I, um, I think in future we'll see a lot more relationships starting this way. <laughs> <laughs> it's not uh, enough that so, he beats so, the snotted of her father. He also has to murder her ex fiance. Yeah, mm. that's I I skipped over, but Sayo and uh, Higaki have been like. Hanging out, even though she hates him and thinks he's gross. And everybody's like, this guy's a snake. He's dangerous. He sucks. <laughs> um, but uh, following this, I, I one of my a, a shot that I love is when Higaki walks in on the three of them hanging out and having a good time and is just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Most relatable character in the movie. <laughs> um, apparently... Uh, in interviews, Kurosawa later on admitted to having a lot of affinity for this character, like mm. in that he had uh, r- really liked Higaki as a villain mm. um, and and wanted to side with him a little bit. Mm. Which is um, not something you, you would want to admit for a movie you made as propaganda for him to be the hated yeah. Western <laughs> influence. I, I do wonder if... Um, uh, if it's just the mustache, really, that he took a liking yeah. to. <laughs> Maybe. You know, I, the um, dad has a better mustache. That's, I'll say this. Mm, this is true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, this this culminates on Sagata and Higaki going out to this hillside full of uh, flowers and bushes to to have their their fight finally to see who is actually better. Uh, even over the protests of basically everybody else on the planet. Uh, but they do get a, a referee out there to, to officiate. That's true. Um, what's, what's the line he has? It's like, we're young, we're stupid, but I'm going to do this fight anyway. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Sounds but, pretty shonen. Yeah. <laughs> but as they're young, fighting... Young, dumb, and full of cum. <laughs> God damn. Point break. <laughs> Another classic um, <laughs> Jiraigaki picture. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it. <laughs> and then now that the police have all learned martial arts, a, a bunch of bank robbers show up all wearing the masks of various um, minor functionaries from the from the Edo period. Um, and Sugata uh, <laughs> Sanshiro sort of falls in love with one of the, the robbers before he realized he has to learn surfing. 
<laughs> I, yeah. I want to make this movie That's now. That's the short of it. Yes, please. Like 1940, please well, 1890s. Point break. Um, I like that in the middle of this fight, as he's he's fighting with Higaki, they separate for a moment, and uh, Sayo actually like runs up and pleads with him. Like they're yeah. in the middle of something here. She's <laughs> not just going to wander off. Uh, but it looks like Higaki has the better of him in a, a kind of chokehold. But as he looks to the sky, the weather suddenly changes from this stormy scene to the cloud he was looking at following the uh, looking at the lotus. And he has his third spiritual awakening and rises up to defeat Higaki. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, overcoming him, throwing him down the hill, he stumbles back up to no avail. And Sagata finally, uh, he and, and Sayo get together. His uh, Yano f- admits that he has become a man, and then they send him off to Yokohama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd been watching so much Common uh, Rider that once he throws somebody down a hill, I'm expecting them to explode. But <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> well, the Common Rider connection here is very exciting indeed. <laughs> Um, this this film was followed by a sequel, which is uh, made later enough that it is not propaganda to the same extent. Mm. I, I would disagree um, just from like the, the half of it that I've seen, because it's, it's it's like instead of fighting a guy who dresses like he's American, he's just fighting douchebag Americans. <laughs> and his martial arts are proved to be far superior to the Queen's boxing. Yeah, he he fights an American boxer and a karate champ uh, and handily defeats them both in the sequel, which (laughs) apparent on just like a snow covered mountain this time. Cool. Oh, that's Uh, even better. I I definitely want to check it out. It's it's got a lot of the the same cast and Chris Howard directed it as well. Uh, Abby, what did you think of this movie overall? I I was a huge fan, you know, only knowing it through its parody and it, it. it sort of gave me like a like a I had my own moment of spiritual awakening watching this as a as a lotus coming out of the muddy water, um, <laughs> sort of realizing like for all the same reasons that this movie is sort of silly and goofy, like that's like the 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 way that something can be parodied, like even without me knowing mm. like everything that it's sort of drawing on culturally and sort sort of being something that I'm I'm an alien to. Um, I can still understand like why there would be a, a very successful ad campaign sort of teasing this character. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it was great. No, it was, it was, it was nice. I, I liked, I like, it's, it's a pure movie. It's very yeah, silly, very so. but it's, it's made with absolute sincerity. And, and these days that's in rare, rare quantities indeed. So I admire that. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I thought it was pretty great. Um, it, you know, I I was miffed because of the parts that were missing. Uh, so to me, it didn't feel like a complete movie. But what is there is done really well. Um, it's masterfully shot. Um, you can kind of tell that it's Kurosawa's like first directorial movie, um, just because, um, you know, if you've gone back and seen his later movies, he's uh, obviously. Uh, perfected his technique and stuff, but um, it's sort of like watching Bottle Rocket. 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then being interested uh, at like uh, at how the director pivoted, like, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, like what elements um, did he draw from this first movie that has been uh, accentuated in later um, offerings? I um, I think that the uh, the spiritual awakening bit is kind of funny as a um, if this was like an anime, and I think there was an anime, but if this was like a monster of the week anime, um, he has a different <laughs> spiritual awakening at the end of it, like right before he's about to beat the crap out of. He's like, he's at the end of his rope, and he's like, and he's yeah. like, oh, I see now. And then you know he readies his um, hisatsu, and um, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, you know, wins the day. Uh, j- just given how many times he has a, has a spiritual awakening in this movie, it's it's kind of uh, funny if you you know to play off of that. Um, but yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really great um, and a cool peek into um, Kurosawa's uh, like uh, early stuff. Yeah, if if this were like a Tokusatsu, he'd have to spend time unlocking each of the eight paths of the Buddha. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Joey, what do you think? Uh yeah, I I I thought it was uh pretty good. You know, I I it was charming. Like it was definitely like <clears throat> I like that comparison of talk of of it like bottle rocket because it is it's like there's elements of Kurosawa's films that you can like see in it. Like that fight on the hill feels very Kurosawa and there's like some interesting um moments like that are shot kind of differently than just like straight on but like it's also pretty rough mm-hmm. um and you know it is really too bad about those missing parts because it, it felt disjointed to me and you can't really fault the film on that uh but it is something that kind of kept me from completely uh you know vibing with it entirely um, I'd say the thing that I got the most connected to is the relationship between uh, Sugata and the the daughter, the the woman that he falls in love with, and and their romance and stuff. Because I don't know, it, it that was the some of the most like complete <laughs> parts mm-hmm. of the film that are there. And I found speaking of uh, what Abby was saying of, of it being very like pure, I loved the fact that he like is like oh i'm just very impressed by how devoted she was to her dad and and the purity to which she was like praying for him uh it may it builds him up in a very like fun charming way uh to be this sort of like shining uh pure hero or whatever um but then i had i you know i kind of but then his story arc with like defeating her dad and her dad uh, uh, then kind of like sanctioning their relationship and stuff was kind of where the movie ended for me. And then there's this like additional 15 minutes where the bad guy shows up and is like, now I want to match. And at that point I was kind of over it a little bit. So like that part, I didn't like super connect with except for thinking it was really cool because the, the mountain was cool. Like the setting was very cool. Um, but like I was a little checked out at that point, right. uh, I would it, say. It sort of is like the movie ends and then the credits are sort of rolling. And then and then he, like, he comes out and he's like, what are you doing? You still have to fight me. Remember me? You have yeah, to fight totally. me. Like, <laughs> like 
Uh, that is very, very disjointed. My 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 <laughs> mind is now like a flutter of different ways you could parody this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, it that it, God that reminds me of uh, Dark Knight. Like, that's not to you know criticize American movies, but my my big criticism with with uh, Dark Knight is that's exactly what happens. The movie's over, and then oops, I have to go fight Two Face. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what happens here. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like yeah, we gotta. But instead of setting this guy up for the sequel, we just gotta get a quick uh, ten minute death match in. Yeah. <laughs> It's, you know, I, I admire that yeah. it's punchy, though, because like we, we were comparing it to, you know, in an anime, you'd be opening all eight gates or whatever. Uh-huh. But th- this was sort uh-huh. of before that became such a such a thing. Like like it, it sort of exists yeah. independently of it, but it still hits the same notes, which which mm-hmm. I, I, I I like seeing something that's separated from a tradition where you, where you might sort of feel like you have to declare a special move or whatever if this is a cartoon. Um, yeah. <laughs> like like I, I can't imagine doing this in a comic where someone isn't declaring like I'm about to use my hip drop, whatever. Um <laughs> and I I it it made me sort of appreciate the dramatic qualities of these things again. Cause like I, I sort of mm. think of myself as a as an intellectual. So I'm like, yeah, whatever guy. And I, I make sort of jerk off <laughs> motions when people are talking about like, oh, you know, you beat up my father and now I have fallen in love with you. You know, that thing that happens mm-hmm. in, in normal movies because it happens all the time. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. take it seriously. And it, it it's nice to see these things presented sincerely again. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad. Yeah. And to sort of see the roots of those kind of tropes uh, that we see in other stuff too. Uh, the, kind of what you were talking about, uh, about kind of if this were an anime or if this were a tokusatsu, it's because of like a lot of that kind of stuff is coming from the same roots of storytelling that that this is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, V, what did you think uh, about I, it? I had a lot of fun with this. I also find the missing scenes incredibly frustrating watching this as a movie. Mm-hmm. But look, coming at it from kind of just an artifact of Akira Kurosawa's career, it is <laughs> remarkable uh, at how much of him is already here out of the gate. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Alex said, it's not refined. These are things that he would like figure out uh, mm-hmm. as, as time went on. But like the, the way he films action, the, the way he uh, cuts back and forth dynamically a lot, the, the like wipe transitions. Um, mm, yeah. Like th- these are all, these are all things that like he, he would, you know, focus and, and sharpen as, as he got more movies under his belt, but it's so neat just seeing him like seeing something, uh, that is just so unmistakably his, uh, being the first thing that he has a director credit on. Hmm. Um, and I still really enjoyed, uh, what of the film is there. It, uh, it is like, very lighthearted in a endearing way. Um, mm-hmm. It this it, it, this it doesn't feel like propaganda, even though I know it was largely made to be so. It just feels kind of wholesome, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
It also has uh, maybe the hardest I've laughed at somebody dying in a movie that wasn't a horror movie, uh, which I've got some mixed feelings about. But like the drama of that situation, even though I did not react in the recommended way, uh, there's still enough going on there for me to like have a reaction to it. The thing that was making me laugh during those um, matches uh, was actually the like shots after he'd get thrown and then he'd like snap back into action and he has this very kind of like blank expression on his face as he's as he's like back in his action pose uh and it would always focus on him just for a second to let us know that he's like back and ready to go but he always looked kind of dopey yeah. <laughs> and yeah, made me yeah. laugh like i said he's got that square jaw but still has that baby face and that just uh-huh. like i'm a big dumb blank protagonist look about him is <laughs> very good yeah, and we talk about those um, those matches being somewhat plainly shot, but there are every once in a while, like there's a few overhead shots and there's a few things where he's definitely like trying some stuff out, um, um, which is yeah, cool. Yeah, you gotta walk I really before liked. you can run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the shots that I really liked was when uh, after after uh, Mariah gets thrown the first time and he gets up all woozy and stuff, we get that kind of first person view mm. of his where everything is fuzzy and, and then Sagata eventually comes into focus. But once again, he is standing there with that doofy blank expression with his hands <laughs> out. Um, you know, I, I want to, I want to take back. How I've been describing the fights. I guess I'd call them fights uh, directed as drama scenes as opposed mm-hmm. to like fights that aren't directed as action scenes. Cause mm. yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't know, aside from like samurai action, what the state of Japanese action films. Well, they they keep uh, following like the the reactions of the audience, which which you I mean, I I guess a lot of sort of certainly 60s, 70s martial arts films. There isn't usually an audience. It's just like a guy with a cigar beating up all of the bad guys in (laughs) the strange island owned by an evil billionaire. Um or something like that. Whereas here, like it keeps cutting back. And I, I like, you know, that, that gif, I don't even know what movie it's from that people use a lot with like a guy with a mustache, just like shaking his head and going like, what the fuck? Like I, I, I keep <laughs> wanting these, this, uh, this film's fight sequences to cut to that guy for some reason, I think, cause there's all the mustaches already. And oh, yeah. it, yeah, shot, shot as a drama scene. Cause it's much more about that. That's another thing that's like, a big uh, thing that I associate with anime especially is like you always have this sort of like Greek chorus of weaker guys <laughs> uh, who are there to comment on what's happening. Right. Um, and I think that it, that's on display here. You keep cutting to the yeah. audience and you got to get their reactions to know that this is very impressive. You know, <laughs> you know, you made me feel better about about that now because, you know, now I don't feel like, oh, it's, it's clearly a cost saving measure. Because it's presumably not much more expensive to get people to keep holding each other's collars and dancing in a circle. <laughs> no, dudes. I, I mean, everybody like uh, like always complains about like, oh, you know, so much. Many of the Dragon Ball characters aren't uh, useful anymore. They're not strong enough. And it's like, yeah, but they're still very important. They've got to tell us that things are intense. <laughs> uh, otherwise, how would we know? Um. So moving on to uh, to favorite parts, Alex, what was your your standout part of the film? Um, this actually took me a while to think about because I, upon first viewing, I was like, I didn't write down any scenes. I didn't write down any scenes that I like listed as my favorite. But the one that I kept coming back to was the fight between um, him and, and uh, Murai. 
Um, mm. I don't know. Like to me, that was like the big climactic fight. And I also just like watching Takashi Shimura. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that was it for me. Like it was probably a toss up between that and the, um, and, and when he's in the, you know, in the water for like 58 hours or whatever, but yeah. it, it, it's, it, I, for me, it's definitely that, that judo scene because, you know, I'm watching a judo movie. I want to see some judo. Uh, you know, sometimes I want my movies to be very surface level <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and this one delivered in, in terms of that. So, and, and, and I could all, and uh, compared to all the other judo scenes, this one I thought had the most clear action to it. Um, yeah, I that my one big complaint about the final battle is that um it's really hard to see anything just yeah. due to the yeah. contrast and stuff, but uh yeah, that's my favorite part. Um jumping ahead a little that that's also my favorite part uh but I think because there's, I've got so much emotional investment where like yeah. we've seen enough of Mirai at that point to have some sympathy for him. Like he's a likable character when he first shows up and talks about like how he feels better that he's quit drinking or something. Mm. Um, and it just seems really friendly. And the idea of this like old man fighting this, this young buck is like, I don't know. I feel for both sides of that fight. And the first time that he gets thrown and is dizzy and gets back up, I'm just like, oh, no, old man, don't do it. Yeah, I, like, I was shouting, there's a lot of emotion. I was shouting, stay down. Like the, the fact that like, like Skata is freaking out that he's basically like, oh, man, I like this girl, but I'm ba I'm probably going to end up killing her old man because I have to like that's that's stakes. Yeah, I had mm. actual relief at the end of that fight uh, when he was still alive the next day. Because I was like, oh, he's going to, like, give Sagata his blessing and then die yeah. in the hands of those guys. Well, he, he does have a, a history of dying tragically. <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, so that was mine. Uh, Abby, what was your favorite part? You know, I, I think one of my favorite parts, and I'm I'm not enough of a student of cinema of any country to be confident how often it happens, but it's just when the kids start singing a song like "Stay Away from Sugata, He'll <laughs> Kill You," uh, just as, as a as a way to show time moving forward, as a way to set a character in his like emotional state, and then the bad guy starts singing it along too and laughing, which is like <laughs> transcendently evil. Um, and I I really enjoyed that as a device that I'm sure shows up a lot in films that like adults watch, but I don't watch a lot of films that adults watch, so to me. It was tremendous. Um, yeah, that kind of in-universe mythologizing is is really cool. It's great. It, it, yeah, and uh, there's also a shot. Uh, it is the climactic fight with Igaki, where um, right after Sanshiro is staring at the clouds and he remembers the lotus, and he just starts smiling, but he's still getting choked out. And Igaki <laughs> like is like, "What?" <laughs> and I. I didn't expect that face, but obviously it makes sense because Sugata's doing something weird. And and it it got a, a nice a nice belly laugh. I I didn't expect to enjoy the movie a lot. Like I expected it to be very dour, because I figured that mm. was why it was being parodied. But like it, it in retrospect, like sad, dour things aren't really fun to parody. They're just sad and dour forever. <laughs> But this is sincere, which is much better and more fun to like, um, what is it? Airplane and terror at 50,000 feet or whatever that the movie that airplane was sort of like a shot for shot 
It's just that oh, movie yeah. again with jokes because that movie was sincere. It's not like, you know, a serious drama or anything. It's just schlock. And this is uh, maybe <laughs> schlock is a rude word to, to use for this, but it, it, it's, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And I like it. Yeah. Kurosawa's movies are actually a lot more like kind of like base level entertaining than you think sometimes mm. like you think of Kurosawa's movies as being on the Criterion channel and like people discuss them while sipping tea or whatever. But like, uh, you know, whenever I actually sit down to watch one, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like an action movie or this is a thriller or something, yeah. you know, that's why I, he's so revered. Like, and that's why his movies got remade as Westerns. Like they're very <laughs> surface level, easy to understand, you know, like. Yeah, I, I think that's part of it, too, because I and this is the worst thing I can confess. Um, the the Man with No Name trilogy, like I can't get into those. So I think I just mm -hmm. associate Kurosawa with those. And I just associate mm. those with like very long, boring scenes where nothing happens. And I know that's unfair. Right. right. <laughs> but I, I'm an impatient person. <laughs> I'm usually doing like five things at once. And so when I watch a movie. I like dialogue. I like verbal jokes. <laughs> and then I can do the laundry. Yeah, I was uh, I will be honest when you picked this film as much as I like uh, Segata Sanchiro, I was a little worried because I was like, mm, this I know this film is from like the 40s. It's Kurosawa's first movie. I'm worried it's going to be boring and I'm thankful that it like for all of its flaws, it was definitely not a boring movie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Joey, what was your favorite part? Um, yeah, the part that we, we briefly mentioned uh, how cool this part was, but a, a part that I think about a lot and keep, keep coming back to is that moment at the uh, beginning where he throws his sandals aside mm -hmm. and then we follow the sandal to like uh, transition through time. And th this is cool on like a couple different levels. First of all, I like the um, the the fact that he I just like that sort of comedic beat of he picks up the um uh rickshaw and he's like takes off his sandals to run and then he's like not sure where to put the sandals and he basically just does a like shrug to camera and then throws <laughs> them aside um he's like well i don't need these and and it's funny but it also like shows you you kind of his dedication and the fact that he's like throwing his possessions aside to to join uh this man and then um, and then you'd get the really cool and I would guess uh, pretty forward thinking like way of showing time passing of like uh, following the sandal as like the seasons change and, and dogs chew on it and it flows down a river and stuff. And uh, I, I just thought that was like really cool. Um, yeah, like even and, even the uh, choice of the sandal like sets it in a time and place. And it's mm -hmm, great. Totally. It's a great choice. What would you do for something like that set today? Like a sneaker isn't fun to film. Like they just look so <laughs> gross and like trash like on the floor. I mean, I'm be, sure foot yeah, fetishists would disagree. Like people, who <laughs> people collect sneakers and claim that they have some sort of aesthetic value. I just I've never seen a tennis shoe that looked nice like Crocs. <laughs> You yeah, know, sometimes you're just walking down the street and you see a random tennis shoe that you don't know shoe. where it came from. Maybe that's how it happens. Well, what what if it's mm -hmm. like the shot is, um, you know, you'll see like sneakers tied together and thrown over a telephone wire. <laughs> it's like snow <laughs> collects on them. And yeah, yeah. Birds land on them. Fireworks in the background to show it's July. Oh, yeah. That's how you know good. there's a judo dojo nearby. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, when that tennis happens. Shoes aside. Like you don't need away. That's great. <laughs> 
That's a very good gag. Uh, so moving on to Shall We Dance uh, segment where we discuss if this was remade for U.S. audiences, what would be different? Who would we cast? Uh, could it be done? And I feel like this one is maybe so just like inherently Japanese, uh, both yeah. the being a period piece and being about specifically the rivalry between judo and jujitsu. I don't really see this translating <laughs> to a U.S. remake. What's better, lacrosse uh, yeah. or field hockey? <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've had millions of remakes of movie. it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes me think of like the Karate Kid or something, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, yeah. you know, a white kid takes up judo, uh, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> would, would the American version still be judo, or would it then be like a uniquely American thing to sort of show a similar mm. chauvinistic, like this local thing is better than that Wrestling. foreign guy? Although, like, he's some, doing yeah. American so MMA I don't know style why. versus Gracie Jiu Jitsu yeah. or something. Yeah, I guess you could do an MMA movie. <laughs> Sagata Sanchiro, the MMA hero. Oh, I, I like uh, the image of Kurt Angle just like neck down in water and just his head poking out. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't have a lot of thoughts about that or recasting. Uh, but yeah. what I do want to talk about. Uh, we're getting to the fireworks factory. <laughs> Segata Sanshiro. Yeah. yeah. Um, this was my introduction to the concept of Sugata Sanshiro. Uh, Segata Sanshiro was an ad campaign from Sega from 1997 through 1999. Uh, Starring Kamen Rider in- himself. <laughs> Yeah, Hiroshi Fujioka, the original Kamen Rider, as the titular Segata Sanshiro. I, I am such an idiot that I thought his name was actually Takeshi Hongo. <laughs> as himself. Yeah. As himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, is is created, uh, they were uh, debuting a new white model of the Sega Saturn, which the, was originally a black console. Hmm. And... Uh, they made a uh, this character because uh, Sega Saturn Shiro kind of swaps around to Segata Sanshiro, uh, uh, yeah. which is some wordplay that they do in his incredible theme song. And the phrase translates um, to "You must play Sega Saturn." Is that right? Oh yeah, um, yes. Shiro is also white, but um, it does also mean you must play Sega Saturn. that's like he chants it at people and then the kid has to like chant it back or else he'll beat the snot mm-hmm. out of him. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. The, the whole campaign is about him like running around beating people up and until and telling them to play Sega Saturn games. Yeah. The, my first my first exposure to uh, Segata Sanshiro is when my friend told me about him and was like, yeah, it's really great. He's just a guy in a judo gi who goes and beats people up until they play Sega Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> which like sold um, me on it and they're all really funny which i think the first commercial that he's in uh doesn't have a specific game in it but he he's in like a tokusatsu rock quarry fighting another judo guy and does it and throws him he goes flying through the air like superman much much like moma and what i expected to happen with moma actually happens with this guy where he just lands head first and causes a huge explosion (laughs) and it's incredible and i wish uh more judo matches would end with people causing huge fiery explosions those mats are insanely flammable my friend (laughs) 
Um, but please, if you haven't seen these yet, please, please go look them up. There's an entire they, series of them. They recently resurrected the character for, mm-hmm. uh, I forget the guy's, the, his son's name is cast with um, is. The, the guy's real life son. Uh, but his, his yep. new shtick is that instead of being just the manliest man who ever lived, he's just so impossibly handsome. And like he, he smiles and, and just the sunlight glints off of his teeth. <laughs> I don't even I don't yeah, even know I what it's advertising for. I was just happy to see Seika Tasanchiro <laughs> again. Yeah, it is for the 60th anniversary of Sega as a corporation. It started in 1960. Huh. Uh, the his, his Sega Tasanchiro son, Sega Shiro, is played by Maito Fujioka, who is Hiroshi Fujioka's real life son. And I can imagine uh, he's not even an actor and has no interest in his father's career. I don't, I don't know that he is because the only <laughs> thing that Sega Shiro plays or says in all the commercials are uh, uh, it's Sega because he's constantly like there's there's one scene where he's got a Game Gear and people come up and are like, is that a switch? And he just says, <laughs> it's Sega. Sega this. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, he's Sega this. Uh, is all he says until uh, uh, spoilers a judo master from space wearing a demonic helmet shows up and oh challenges boy. him uh, until he finally fights back uh, he, he wears his father's gi on his shoulders but he finally puts it on mm. and and hip tosses this demon from space and the, the mask comes off and it's actually his dad oh no <laughs> uh, and I have not seen a translated version of this uh, commercial, so I don't know what he, they actually say to each other. Um, but he says some stuff and then he accidentally throws his dad all the way to the planet Saturn, uh, yelling Tosan the whole time okay. uh, and then wakes up yelling it in class. Uh, the whole thing was a dream and everyone makes fun of him. I love and it. That's the final Sega Shiro commercial, to my knowledge. Rest in peace. Oh, that's so um, good. The final say the the reason he, he his dad is not there in those commercials. The final final Segata Sanchiro uh, ad in 1999, uh, a mysterious gloved hand that looks like a certain Italian plumber's uh, launches a rocket at Sega headquarters in 1999, just as they're about to debut the Sega Dreamcast, uh, <laughs> probably my favorite console of all time. And uh, Segata Sanshiro heroically sacrifices himself, redirecting the rocket and riding it out into space where it explodes. And a tearful businesswoman in the Sega building uh, mournfully cries his name as he explodes out in space. Oh, no. <laughs> I've seen Fujioka come back from worse. So. <laughs> But yeah, no, he's, he's alive in my heart. He's still out there somewhere. I definitely know. <laughs> I, I would, I would love to see uh, Sugata Sanshiro uh, reshot, um, like the motorcycling sequences in the original Common Rider, where it just like it'll suddenly be <laughs> upside down for a frame, and everything's yeah, just yeah. completely animated streaks coming off of very them. disorientated. Oh yeah, just just remake it right now with Hiroshi Fujioka. He's still looking pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but everyone acts like he's like twenty five. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so that with with the fireworks factory behind us, uh, let's move on now to the Takashi Shimura Award. Who gave the most memorable performance? Uh, Abby, we'll start with you. Ooh, um, that's a good question. I guess I'd, I'd probably hand it to Susumu Fujita. For some reason, uh, when I look at his face, I always think of... Because uh, he's, he's like... 
kind of got a smile, even when he doesn't have a smile, if that makes sense. And I, it always makes me think of mm-hmm. um, even rewatching it. I say always, I don't watch it a lot, but even but both times I, I click, click through it. Um, the end of Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> when Eartha Kit, like when um, Ernest is like, oh, I got a dog and he's so happy to have his dog back. And then he like falls out of frame and then it just zooms in on Eartha Kit and she slowly smiles and then goes like, what are you going to do? And for some reason, those two expressions feel kin to me. And I don't I think it's probably <laughs> like the sign of some sort of a, of a degenerative brain disease that I have. But <laughs> I, I, I strongly feel that this is the case. And I, I hope that someone out there in internet land agrees with me because it, it would validate my disease to hear it. <laughs> uh, that's great. He's just got a nice uh, smile. Yeah. Joey, what do you think? I, you know, I, I don't think we've actually done this yet, but I do want to give this to Takashi Shimura himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, uh, he just is, uh, the kind of standout for me in this and not just because he was the one actor that I recognize, like, I don't know. It, it's interesting, uh, though that he is younger than I'm used to seeing him. And this is a much more like physical role, um, which was cool. And you do, you know, it is legitimately him like picking him up at some points and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, like that part after then he's, on his in in bed i won't say on his deathbed necessarily but like um he he just exudes a lot of warmth and is that sort of friendly figure uh that i think of him as sometimes when he's not a sort of like more tragic stern figure but um and i i just yeah i got a lot of warmth from his performance and it's no wonder that he went on to work with kurosawa several times uh after this yeah i looked it up to see if he was in any of the films that uh kurosawa worked on previously but i did not see any any credits that crossed Mm. prior to this alex um do you think gets everything joey said yeah like (laughs) i I knew exactly who was going to be my pick, and it's the man himself. Um, yeah, we didn't give it to him last time, uh, but this one he was a total standout for me. Um, he like every I, I don't know what it is, but he just seems to always get the best lines to say in every movie. <laughs> I uh, I. I would give it to him as well, just because like, like I said, he's immediately likable when he shows up. I love the whole shtick of like him liking Sagata as much or more than his daughter does. He's like, Mm -hmm. you're my son now. I don't care about whether my daughter likes you or not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just the rapport and the way he, he acts is incredible, but I do want to shout out Dinjiro Okochi uh, as Yano, who is just like, a very good kind of sly teacher character. Yeah. Um, that the, the original speech he gives, uh, Sagata after fighting in the streets about humanity is really good. But I think what really gets me is the scene where he is announcing the, the exhibition matches between the, with the, uh, police station and the rival jujitsu dojo just Mm. his the way he's laying there that's it's really well shot with just the one candle as he's talking to all of his students 
but the casual way he shot and unfolding that piece of paper and like kind of smug and winking to Sagata about how the jujitsu dojo has challenged him is just like, I don't know. He, he just comes off as really like kind of sly to me in a way mm-hmm. that he doesn't really have that much screen time to work with, uh, but it comes across really well. Yeah, totally. It's like the humanity speech is, is terrific. I, I, I just been yeah. talking to someone about um, like in the, in the eighties and nineties when there were all these parental action groups sort of coming up to, you know, like martial arts cartoons and GI Joe and stuff and, you know, demanding yeah. you say like, Oh, you don't fight people like for no reason, which is a, maybe a strange way to phrase a moral for five-year-olds anyway. But <laughs> like, like I always assumed that that sentiment came from fear of parental action groups. And it, it, it's very interesting seeing it even in this context, uh, sort of the, the connection between martial arts and a, and a way to explore your humanity is I think a great sort of touch. Yeah. I think when I was a kid, I was always a little confused by this sort of like, wise martial arts master who says, you know, I'll teach you all these killing techniques, but don't use them in a fight, you know? Uh, but, uh, as, as I grow older and wiser, I understand kind of the more of the sort of balance of things that they're trying to teach. And, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah. That's something that really gets me not only in martial arts films, but like across things like that honor, like capital H honor in a lot of things don't really do much for me, but the idea that, uh, it's the Spider-Man thing with great power comes great responsibility, (laughs) which like even looking at, at Western culture, like chivalry, it it originally came from chevaliers. Like you were powerful Mm. enough to own a horse. You, you needed to use your power and wealth to protect the people around you, which like that's, yeah. And so the idea that like judo, like this, this tech, these techniques are very dangerous and powerful and you have the, you have to be responsible with them and use them to like express your humanity, not just like destroy people. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be very curious to see other like martial arts movies from this time period. If, if many exist just cause like it, it comes up here and there's also the, the connection between like jujitsu as purely like a fighting art, whereas judo yeah. like is, is something where, you might more expect a teacher to sort of chasten their student in the way that they live and not just the way that they fight. Um, and I, I wonder if that was intentional or if, if that's just me making a connection that like, I, I don't know if, if you would expect a jujitsu teacher to also care or if, if that's something the movie is trying to draw up mm. in terms mm. of the branding of judo. Yeah, yeah. I don't know enough about uh, the, the state of martial arts in the in 1940s Japan or 1880s Japan uh, to really know, but it'd be interesting. I, I really want to dig and see what uh, older, much older martial arts films in general look like, because I don't know much outside of like the earliest I know is like 60s Hong Kong. Hmm. Um, I, I just realized so yes. when we talk about Segata Sanchiro, that's us talking about a 90s ad based on a 40s movie set in the 1880s. <laughs> I'm very concerned. Yeah. Jumping back in time. So uh, what do we got going on next episode, Joey? Next episode, we will be talking about Wild Zero, the Guitar Wolf movie. 
Um, it's a real fun uh, sci-fi action rock and roll movie um, that I believe is streaming on Amazon, possibly other places. So seek it out, watch it. It's it's a really fun movie and uh, one that we've been talking about covering for a while. So I'm looking forward to talking about that with you folks. Excellent. I'm excited. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at VriskaChat, V-R-I-S-K-A-C-H-A-T. Uh, I'm not that, that interesting. But Abby, I'm sorry I forgot to ask you to talk about this earlier. Tell people a little bit about who you are oh, um, and where to find oh you. Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I'm, I, I have an audio sitcom that I have sort of been sitting on for a while. I still need to re-edit. We had to have a late cast change uh, the last two episodes of a sci-fi audio sitcom called cyber cafe that's at uh, abbydenton.podbean.com if you're interested in more audio entertainments we got a, a bunch of fun episodes there and otherwise i'm on twitter at uh, ms abitha m-i-z-a-b-i-t-h-a abby denton uh I, I like attention but i do very little to deserve it now <laughs> uh, you're you're a great yeah. podcast. Yes. Bless you. Yeah. Oh, bless you. Bless you. I, I you know, I, I do want to say if, if you're uh, looking for someone to talk to about uh, Kurosawa's second film, uh, The Most Beautiful, which sounds very exciting to me because it's about workers at a lens factory struggling to meet wartime production targets and driving oh themselves boy. to meet Ooh. it, which sounds like the most boring <laughs> thing in the world. But the idea of like depicting people struggling to meet like inhuman factory conditions, like as propaganda saying that that's good is very <laughs> exciting to me. Uh, when we had Zach on, he made us promise that the next time we had him on, we'd cover a movie with lasers in it. Um, but you are going to just stick uh, comfortably in the 40s, I guess. With <laughs> wow, dry I'm flexible. Movies. There's we need some too. labor discourse on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but, you know, right, other cool. things. I just thought I'd mention it because the Wikipedia synopsis sounded very wild. I, just, I, I yeah. can't envision a movie like that. Yeah, you know, I'm such a big like uh, I'm the kind of person who likes to move through a discography or a filmography. I feel like I need to do the like Kurosawa run at some point and just watch watch them all because I've seen maybe about half of his movies or something like that. But um, yeah, if gotta, you want to go gotta backwards, catch uh, maybe uh, go to his previous film or his film prior to this that he did a lot of the finishing up work on uh, under his mentor, the director. I can't remember his name, uh, but this is the one that he said he more or less directed himself already uh, called uh, Uma, uh, also known as just horse, which is mm. a sad movie about a lady trying to keep a horse from being sold as uh, into war service. Oh, wow. Mm. Um, Sheen war horse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, uh, Abby, I think you were also recently on our uh, sister slash parent podcast, the One Piece podcast as well. Yes, your your sister, your mother, your sister, your mother, your sister, <laughs> I your mother. Appreciate a good Chinatown reference. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, not a film that I'm proud of. I actually I haven't watched the whole thing, but the scene at the beginning where there's like a goat in L.A. City Hall, it's a good gag. Mm-hmm. It's a good gag. Uh, <laughs> It's a great movie. Roman Polanski is a monster. Don't give him money. Um, yeah, pirate it. 
but yeah, pirated. Uh, Alex, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at dude exclamation, all one word. Um, uh, listen to me every week on the One Piece podcast. Uh, listen to Toho Yaro, of course. Um, if you're a member of the One Piece podcast Patreon, you can listen to me and Steve Yerko talk about the four kids dub of One Piece uh, in our latest podcast, Forced to Watch Four Kids. Um, we are having a great time with it, despite despite everything. <laughs> um, check me out on twitch.tv slash superartfight every Saturday. Um, I'm not always on, but sometimes I am. So uh, follow us on uh, at superartfight on Twitter to get uh, all the good deets on that. Um, also follow at Weeb Simpsons if you are not already. It's my shitpost Twitter. And um, by the time this episode drops, I will be on an episode uh, of a podcast called Optophobia. Uh, it's an Im- it's an oh. improv slash fake conspiracy podcast that is quite funny. And, nice. And um, I think you'll enjoy my appearance on it. it sounds great. Um. One more thing, uh, tweet at me if you have any good recommendations for a region-free Blu-ray player, because my brother-in-law gifted me a, uh, a third Windows release mm-hmm. of, uh, I can't remember Hanagatami. the name of it uh, Hanagatami, uh, that I cannot, do not have a device I can watch it on, so Oof. I'm in the market for a uh, uh, region-free Blu-ray player that costs somewhere between $50 to $100. Uh, Joey, where can people find you? Um, I'm at Joey Weiser on Twitter and Joey Weiser Comics on Instagram. Uh, you can check out my work, uh, the Merman graphic novels and Ghost Hog, uh, self-contained graphic novel that are uh, comedic adventure stories. And um, and Dino Town. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and you can read Dino Town, my uh, web comic, uh, at Dino Town Comic, both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, just kind of chill, soothing comics about some dinosaurs living in a town. I think and it reads best on Instagram. Yeah, it does read better on Instagram. Uh, it's kind of designed for that. But um, but you can find it on the Twitter if uh, you pr- prefer. Um, and uh, as for the podcast, you can follow us at Toho Yaro. Uh, on Twitter and you can like us on Facebook and message us there if you don't have a Twitter uh, but Twitter is probably the best place to get at us um, if you have questions or comments about the show uh, requests for movies you'd like us to cover or requests for guests you'd like to hear on the show um, and you can also email tohoyara gmail.com and uh, yeah, subscribe, rate, and review we, we would really appreciate it Oh, and tell your friends. Uh, I think uh, I'd like to start uh, hearing a few more uh, uh, instances of people saying, hey, this is a cool show. Uh, <laughs> you would you would like to hear it, too, maybe uh, if you know somebody who's into film or Japanese stuff or whatever. Um, so, yeah. And uh, check us out next episode for Wild Zero. Thank you, Joseph. セガタ三四郎。セガタ三四郎。セガタ三四郎。セガタ三四郎。セガタ三四郎。セガタ三四郎。セガタ三四郎。セガタ三四郎。セガタ三四郎。セガタ三四郎。セガタ三四郎。セ
なそばぬやつらには体で覚えさせるぞ Oh!